This episode is brought to you by AG1. I drink AG1 first thing in the morning, usually while I make my coffee, and I love starting the day feeling like I'm doing something good for my body. I always feel refreshed and ready to go after drinking my AG1. I really enjoy it. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and it's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity throughout the day. It's a small habit that delivers huge benefits and helps me take great care of my health every day. So check it out. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash nugget. That's drinkag1.com slash nugget. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This might be the best tool in the app store when it comes to training for rock climbing. Here's the deal. The Crimped app gives you access to 75 different workouts created by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training, for free. So you can download the app right now and see if you like it. And if you want even more training power, consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped Plus unlocks three main things. Instead of the 75 workouts you get with a free version, you will have access to over 200 workouts and progressions. Secondly, with Crimped Plus, you can create your own custom training plans right there in the app. And finally, you'll unlock a collection of skill templates designed to bootstrap your training and focus on specific areas of improvement. Want to improve your finger strength or get more flexible or conquer the one-arm pull-up? Well, guess what? There's a skill template for each of those things and many more that will guide you through the process. So check out Crimped. Go to crimped.com or download the Crimped app for free from the App Store and consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped. Training on your own has never been easier. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Ethan Pringle. Ethan is back on the show. He and I are staying together here in Rocklands, and I've been hanging out for the past few weeks, and it's been a while since we've done one of these. Ethan's been on the show a few times. I'll put all of his episodes in the show notes for this one if you want to go back and hear some of our other conversations. But I always really enjoy talking to this guy. We talked climbing, we talked about our trip so far in Rocklands for the first half of this episode. And then in the second half, we talked about his dad passing away. That's a big change that's happened in his life since our first conversation. And it was heart-wrenching and it was real and super beautiful. And I really appreciate Ethan always for the way that he opens up. So this one's important to me and I'm excited to share it with all of you. Please enjoy this wide ranging conversation from Rocklands with Ethan Pringle. Okay. You want to say something? Something. That was pretty loud. Say something else. Something else. <clears throat> That's actually good. 
Nice, because it's kind of far, it's far-ish away from your face. You can go closer if you want to, or if that's fine, that works too. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <clears throat> is this the weirdest interview you've ever done? Um, it's, it's the weirdest start to an interview. It's the weirdest setup for an interview I've ever had. Do you want to set the scene for us? Sure. We are in Rockland, South Africa. I am lying on my back on crash pads with my legs elevated because um, my back has been in pain a lot lately and sitting for more than like a few minutes at a time kind of hurts it. Hmm. Um, this actually feels pretty good, so I'm psyched, but we're, we're outside our cottage in Rocklands at Traveler's Rest. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's going to be warm, I think. It's a little breezy. There's birds chirping in the background, like tending to their nests. We're on a rest day. It is July 17th, 2023, <laughs> <laughs> year of our Lord. <laughs> I want to uh, see what happens if you just keep going. What, what else are you going to talk about? And uh, <clears throat> 10 o'clock in the morning. It's 10 o'clock, roughly 10 o'clock. Are you going to be able to drink your coffee down there? I think I've given up on drinking any liquids for, for the time being. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ethan so, yeah. has four crash pads, a slider, two pillows beneath his head and shoulders, and two pillows beneath his feet. <laughs> Princess Pringle over here is definitely the highest maintenance podcast setup I've, uh, I've experienced so far, I think. But I'm glad you're comfortable. Thank you. Does this feel like a therapy session? Um, Nugget therapy? Not until you said the word therapy, but now that now that it's in my head, it, it does sort of. If we called it nug therapy, we would definitely have to get high and mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. 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 I think that we could probably find edibles somewhere if we wanted to. <laughs> drugs are bad, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> do you want to, uh, we should start with a trip update so far. Okay. Been here for two weeks, 16 days mm -hmm. um, in Rocklands. We had some time in Cape Town before that. I got food poisoning from some oysters. Mm -hmm. So I was out for the first almost week. Not out, but compromised. Now I have full zest for life. And I'm excited to be here. Um, how's the trip going for you so far? It's going pretty good. Um, yeah, two weeks in, little little over two weeks in, and already knocked off a couple sort of mini projects from last year that I didn't finish. One of them I, I put a grip of days into, um, 30 is a new 20. I tried that a lot at the end of my trip last year and um, got really lucky with conditions this year and did it my first session on it. So that was that felt really good to tick something like right away. Yeah, dude. And um, yeah, I didn't even like throw a rope down on it or anything. There was a little bit of chalk on it already. So I just started giving giving butt rips. <laughs> Oh started started giving tries from the from the <laughs> ground. Um, we call them butt rips now. It's our new thing. Language evolves, yeah. folks. <clears throat> uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I I I did it on my probably like twelfth try of the morning in the full sun. But it was pretty windy, or it was like breezy, and the air was super dry. My skin never really started sweating profusely, so I was like, yeah, I I was able to to cling to the holds and I was making little bits of progress on every try. 
Yeah. So yeah, Scent 30 is a new 20, which is probably one of the most sandbagged hard problems in Rocklands. If that's ringing a bell for people, Tommy Caldwell does that in progression. He's climbing with Daniel and Paul and uh, early bird gets the worm. He like swoops them by getting up before, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning or something and going out and doing it. And snags the FA. And snags the FA. Yeah. And then called it V12 or something. Yeah. But it's probably V14. Yeah. Either like hard, hard 13 or or 14. Tommy's such a boss. That's amazing. Yeah. A lot of really strong people have tried it probably in like suboptimal conditions and not done it in at least in a session or two. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's like notoriously difficult and, uh, yeah, it it got a few ascents or yeah, two or three ascents last year. I think three Heenan did it. This really wiry Italian guy did it really fast. And then Tilo did it. Um, and then I, I tried it for probably like four or five days last year and didn't do it. So pretty tough, pretty tough little number and kind of scary too. Hmm. Looks tall. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, surprisingly tall. It feels really tall because the holds are so bad. Mm. Um, and you're, yeah, clinging to really, really crappy holds, really ho- kind of high off the ground. Um, it's nice to have a double layer below you on that one. But yeah, I was, I, I think like, I think I had the strength to do it on a couple of my tries last trip and definitely on a few of the tries in my session before I did it on this trip. But I was like a little bit scared. I just felt like my hands were gonna just blow off the crux holds going to the the jug. <laughs> this is the first time you've looked at me this whole interview. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. It makes sense, but it's really funny. That 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 only slightly distracted it, by this by this podcast setup. I'm sorry. Continue. That aspect of it does feel like therapy. I'm just like <laughs> looking up at the sky. So tell me about your Rockland trip so far. Yeah. How do you feel? How does it make you feel? How did sending 30s to new 20 make you feel? Made me feel good. I was like, sweet. I can, uh, I don't think I'm like a lot stronger than I was last year, but you know, at least as strong. I'm like sending stuff that I didn't send last year. And then I sent, um, sent quintessential in like a session and a half a few days later. That's that classic V13. Mm -hmm. Classic crimp V13 at eight day rain. I almost sent it my first session on it last year and then had a few more sessions with either really bad conditions or I was really tired and had bad skin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was nice to wrap that up too and just like tick a couple things, a couple um, pieces of unfinished business from last year right away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then other than that, I've just been <clears throat> like, kind of sampling a lot of stuff that I didn't really get to try last year or only tried a little bit last year to just kind of see what to invest energy into. I was kind of surprised that you feel like, because you came from Seyus before this, Mm -hmm. surprised that you feel good bouldering coming straight off of a pretty long sport climbing trip. I think that's, I think that's unique. I think most other sport climbers feel like they have to spend a few weeks to kind of power back up and tune into bouldering before they feel like they can throw down and send hard things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I guess that is, I don't know if that's like unique to me, but I definitely feel like 
when I'm doing a ton of sport climbing, my body is just like functioning better. Mm. And um, I feel like I have more fitness and maybe I can like hang on to sort of small holds for like longer periods of time. I think that's like kind of one of the cruxes in Rocklands is just like how long you have to hang on to some of the holds to like move your feet around and mm. like, you know, readjust and not slide off. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, when I'm, when I'm in really good sport climbing shape, I mean, I guess it probably depends on the type of sport climbing. Like if I spent, you know, six weeks just like hanging on to juggy tufas in road AR or in like Kalimnos or something, I might not feel super ready for Rocklands, mm-hmm. but in Seyus, it's a lot of really small holds and um, like small, small fingery holds. Mm-hmm. Like the style there is really like from your forearm to your fingertips. Mm. That's like where most of the, and then most of your body is working or like where your body's working the hardest. Mm-hmm. And then also I, I spent 10 days in Waterfall Boven before, before I came here and um, kind of a similar style, like vertical to slightly overhanging, really technical and fingery. Um, so I think that like that translates pretty well to Rockland's. Because the, the, like a lot of the stuff here is not super steep. Right. Yeah, I've, I was kind of surprised by that. I don't know why. I should have known that from the videos and stuff. But Yeah, you know, the average angle is probably like 25 degrees or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe 30. Mm-hmm. So many huge moves here. Mm-hmm. This place is defined by just like massive, hard, single moves. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it's like most of the cruxes here revolve around like a big jump or a big dead point or like, yeah, a long, long reach or a long like dyno to a good hold, like from bad holds to a good hold or from good holds to a bad hold. Mm. It's like all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's not much that's like power endurance. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm super stoked to be here. I feel like, you know, trying not to put too much pressure on myself to like get any one thing done while I'm here and just like have fun and sample a lot of stuff. And I mean, you know, this is my third trip here. And so I've probably spent an accumulative, like it will, it will be six months or so by the end of this trip that I've spent here in Rocklands total over my three trips. And there's just still so much to try and it's see. It's crazy. Like I've tried, I don't know, at least three or four, probably more, five or six like new hard climbs that I hadn't touched before this mm-hmm. trip on just in the last two weeks. Yeah. And there's like, you know, I have so many more on the list that I haven't even seen yet. I've been surprised at how haphazard uh, your approach has been or our, just our climbing days have been so far. Just like... Kind of going to a random different new spot every mm-hmm, day mm-hmm. without much of an agenda. Um, and it's interesting. We have a we have a pretty diverse group of climbing abilities, mm-hmm. like a pretty wide range in mm-hmm. our group. <clears throat> and um, something that I've noticed that I appreciate about you is you're so you're so chill with your climbing days, and you're so supportive of other people's climbing. And if you don't get enough climbing in then you just go again the next day and go where you want to go. <laughs> so Ethan just ends up climbing every day. But a lot of your days, you're just kind of like doing the warm-ups, flashing a couple things, 
and then maybe like going and scoping a line that you've heard about and then that's the day mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. go climbing the next day and try something that you want to try mm-hmm. but yeah is I mean, there a I method think... to the madness or is it just um like, i'm kind of just it? following the psych um i think when there's like opportunities to crew up with other people then i'll like probably hop on them if I can, you know, like if, if our, if our schedules align, um, cause a lot of stuff here, especially a lot of hard stuff either like covers a lot of ground, you know, it's like long. So you need a lot of pads or it's really high. Mm-hmm. So you need a lot of pads. Like there's not, there aren't a ton of climbs that you can go try by yourself with two pads. Right. Especially on my list. I feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in, um, is, you know, stuff that I need a little crew for. Right. And long walks. And long walks. And, you know, it's just, like, nice to have support at the boulders. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I'm 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 still in the early phases of the trip where I'm kind of deciding what to, like, what to invest energy into. There's a, I mean, you know, it's like, there's no wrong answer to that question. I think, you know. Like I could try something really hard for a bunch of days and just like be super focused on that. But then I might feel like I'm missing out on just having fun going rock climbing. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's important to to mix it up. You definitely can't try like one thing for a month straight. Like mm-hmm. You have to have days doing other things. Right. So even if I decide to invest in something really hard on this trip, then I'll probably still like have other days like doing mini projects or just like doing volume on moderates mm-hmm. and I like you know it's almost as fulfilling or maybe just as fulfilling to like see people try hard on their things than it is for me to try hard on my thing so yeah. yeah what percentage of the time do you feel like you have like a specific mission in your climbing versus just following the psych and having fun and focusing more on things that you can do quickly or just kind of playing around on on hard things without the intent of like, I came here to plan around this, to try to do this hard thing. Mm. I think I always have ideas about what I might want to try and I just kind of like see what I get sucked into. Mm-hmm. Like in Seyus, I was like, oh, maybe I'll try this and do that and do that. And then I just basically tried like Mr. Hyde the whole time because I just got sucked into it. Mm. Um, I feel like everyone kind of does some variation of that on trips. Mm-hmm. You know, unless they're just like Jimmy Webb and they can do everything in a session. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, I I don't know. On this trip, I'm kind of seeing like I, I have a lot of stuff in mind that I would like to try or like invest energy into, but I'm kind of just like seeing what makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, like what makes sense to try, you know, cause it's like going and trying the power and the glory. Like you kind of need pads for that. You need support or speed of sound or, or so many other boulders like, like you said, they're, the walks are long, you know, you need a lot of foam. And so it's not like you can go try by yourself. So you're kind of like waiting for opportunities. Like, you know, I could, I could convince a whole crew of people to go to speed of sound with me, but then it's like, I'm like forcing, or like I'm encouraging a bunch of friends to go on an hour long walk with me. 
to just like throw down a bunch of foam so that I can try my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that doesn't always feel good. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're like, okay, well, like, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to try that too. I'll just go with you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it makes sense. There are some things that are easy to try, like monkey wedding. You can try it with a couple pads. At least you can like work the moves and there's almost always someone trying it these days. So how are you feeling about that one? I'm psyched to try it more for sure. Um, it's, it's a really inspiring line to me and it's kind of like, wow, if I could do that, that would be like so cool. Mm -hmm. Like I've only done one, um, I guess like confirmed V15. So be cool to do another one. And that one seems like pretty solid benchmark to me. Yeah. And it's just like a, you know, historic climb, really stunning, like obvious line. It's not dangerous, which is nice. Um, and it's definitely, yeah, high on the list. And I think this year I'm like pleasantly surprised by how kind of not sharp the holds feel compared to last year. But maybe hmm. I just tried it on a day that I had really good skin. Okay. Yeah. But I feel like um, my first session was promising. I did I did like the one crux move that I didn't quite do last year. Nice. And I sort of was like starting to understand like how to do it um, by the end of the session. So... That, that that was encouraging. I just don't know if I want to like get sucked into it. I mean, I'm definitely going to try it at least a few more times in the coming weeks and see if like I do get psyched and want to, like if I feel close enough to be like, okay, I'm going all in on this on this trip. Um, or if I want to just be like, okay, I'll, you know, do have a few exploratory sessions and then I'll like know how to prepare better for next year. Mm-hmm. One thing I've been surprised about the more I travel to some of these big destination areas and like see a lot of really strong people. I'm always like, I don't know. I'm always maybe expecting that they have some different formula for how they go climbing and how they approach projects projects and stuff because they're really good climbers and they're climbing V14, V15 or whatever. But they're just doing the exact same thing that the rest of us are doing. <laughs> they're just stronger and doing it at harder mm. grades. Like that, I really felt that in Magic Wood. It's like, oh, all these total crushers are like, doing the exact same thing that I'm doing as far as like their schedule, you know, how they go about their climbing day. They're not really like waiting around for the best conditions They're because mm-hmm. they want to climb. They're just mm-hmm. kind of making it work, but they're flashing V12s and doing V13s and I'm flashing V8s and doing V9s, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it looks the same. Mm-hmm. There's like no real secret or magic to it. Yeah. I mean, you can apply roughly the same formula to, to like, every any project mm-hmm. or any trip really and it is funny it's like i think i'm always surprised by kind of like how bad the tactics of really top level boulders can be mm-hmm. especially like people yeah. who are like a little bit newer to it you know i'm like wow how did your skin get so wrecked mm. like how did you let that happen <laughs> 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 like if I were you, I would I would have to take a week off now. Like your skin is so bad. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I fall into that. You know, you just get psyched. You get psyched, and you get like, you get super excited to try something, and you're just like, you just rage on it. Maybe your skin's getting munched, and you just don't care because you just want to send it so bad. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I that totally happens to me too. I think I like, I'm not quite strong enough to just keep trying when my skin is that bad. Mm. But there are tons of people here that are like that, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just like, you know, 
consequences be damned, I'm just going to keep trying until <laughs> I like can't walk anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I was kind of like that on Power and the Glory the other night. I try. I probably gave it like 15 or 20 more tries than I, <laughs> I should have. <laughs> it's hard with something like that when it's just like a first really hard move with a low barrier to entry. Yeah. Like you can just pull on and give another try. Yeah, and you don't much. really feel the toll that it's taking on your body until it's like kind of too late. <laughs> mm-hmm. That one's weird too because, or just like moves like that are really weird because if you stop trying for too long, you kind of like lose the rhythm mm-hmm. and you like, your body is sort of like slowly understanding like how to maybe do the move and you're like making little micro adjustments and then you take like a 20 minute break and you kind of like everything just disappears and you have a completely different mindset. You're like relaxed and I don't know, it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Happens happens a lot, I think, trying dinos here yeah. where you like, there's like an ideal amount of rest that you want to take between tries where you're like, you're still learning, you're super focused on the move and you have to be like hyper focused on all the details and stuff. Or maybe we're all just overthinking it, but <laughs> but then you like take too long of a break and then you like all all the details just sort of escape your body. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I know that I feel like there's some more like coordination big moves where you almost want to rapid fire them. Mm-hmm. Like you you like want to feel it in your body and yeah. like keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. There was one there's one in Magic Wood, Rhythmo. I was like trying the crux of Rhythmo, which is this really cool compy kind of drive-by jump. Mm. And it like worked better to just chalk up and like try it three times in an, in like 2 minutes or mm-hmm. a minute, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. or five times in 2 minutes and then take a longer break and then do that again mm-hmm. versus like try once, sit down for a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But then it's like your your body and your skin starts to fatigue and mm-hmm. then you just like can't maintain that anymore yeah. yeah yeah and then you take one long break and you're like oh man i should be done <laughs> but i'm <laughs> so catches, psyched and i'm so close up with you. yeah yeah <laughs> how would you describe the style here because i i think it's really interesting like i was asking a lot of people before i came um to try to understand how to prepare for it you know and just how to mentally kind of think about it and be ready for it and um no one could really give me a good answer. I was like, is it like Joe's? No, not really. It's pretty different. Is it like, does it have like Waco qualities? Like, no, not really. It's pretty different. Is it like the gym? Kind of, but kind of no. And now that I'm here, I'm like, I, I don't really know how to describe it either. It's mm. kind of like a weird mix of mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And um, and I'm finding it, I don't know, I'm, I'm finding it pretty challenging like it's a style where i have a hard time feeling like i'm flowing well Mm -hmm. but i don't fully understand why that is yet but it also seems like i mean there's so much rock here there's so many boulders that you're you're also going to get every type of thing like i've found a couple things that suit me perfectly and then a lot of other things so far really don't Mm -hmm. but i i how would you describe the style i don't totally know i i don't have my head around it yet it does really feel like a, a, I mean, like you said, there's so much rock here. There's so many established boulders, so many different areas with like kind of different types of lines that there is a really wide variety of movement and styles. I would say like most of 
you know, a lot of the problems seem really long at first when you when you look at them. And then you're like, start trying them. Um, maybe you had this experience on um, Shadows of Ourselves yesterday and you realize, oh, it's actually just like two moves. You know, mm-hmm. it's like two moves in the middle of this like 15 move sequence. Right. Or 10 move sequence or whatever. And some of the problems, you know, you like on 30s, you do like a jump start, you do a couple easier intro moves and then it's like, you know, two to four moves of business. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of the problems have kind of short cruxes compared to the total length. And um, yeah, and I would say it's usually about some big move. Like it's usually about some big dead point or some jump or some, it's not a lot of like static reaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's quite similar to, feels, a lot of it feels quite similar to board climbing. Mm. You know, you're like doing some, some big dead point or some jump to like a hold that's maybe not a jug. Right. And or, like the setup feels a little strange. Mm-hmm. Like things and aren't it's, quite a lot of it right is position. like kind of awkward and random. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, I don't know. I feel lucky that I, you know, have, you know, maybe I'm not like about to send the finish line, but I do feel lucky that I have like a lot of tricks in my bag mm. to approach like different climbs here, you know? Like I'm sort of flexible. I'm like decent at like micromanaging holds and like sort of economizing on the easy parts of boulders. But, you know, the hardest stuff still requires just like raw strength, mm-hmm. just like anywhere else. But yeah, it does feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of tricks. It's also really fingery, like really like finger strength oriented, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I got mixed feedback or mixed thoughts on that when I was asking people, but I think you're, I think I agree for the most part. I mean, you can find lines like I've been trying black shadow and I'm like thrilled at how not fingery it is. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, um, but almost everything else I've tried has felt pretty fingery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of the hardest stuff, it's like crimpy and fingery. Mm -hmm. At least there's some, there's some, you know, element of like finger strength involved. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that there's also like there's room to make up the difference with like strength in your body, like core strength and leg strength and stuff on a lot of the problems and just like commitment. But I think that there's also just like a lot of bad holds in Rocklands that mm. you have to like grab and spend some time on micromanage. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just like, yeah, like for you, it's like you have those super thick. Um, I felt so seen yesterday <laughs> when you when you compared your fingers to mine. Yeah, yeah. Because I know I'm. It's probably really fucking annoying. I talk about my thick fingers a lot, and um, I'm sure it just sounds like a lame excuse or something. But it, it definitely like it's big hindrance here. It's a big hindrance here because there's a lot of seams, a mm-hmm. lot of holds in like seams or cracks or slots, or even like you know a lot of mini jugs that are kind of a V shape. So if you have those chiseled tips, you can just access the back of it a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I say I have big fingers, people assume I mean like wide, but it's more like when you look at the tip of my finger, 
it's like perfectly round. It's mm-hmm. like a little, it's like a sausage shape. Mm-hmm. You have sausage just, fingers. They're pudgy at the end and that <laughs> makes it hard to get as deep into the holds. Steven has pudgy fingers. I have pudgy fingers, you guys. Which, Which is, is fine. It is what it is. But um, yeah. but I am noticing like, oh, wow, this is, you know, like in Magic Wood, it was a factor on like, I, it's hard for me to even think of a boulder that I tried where it felt like a big limiting factor. Mm. And here it's like, wow, almost everything I've tried so far, it feels like it's at least a factor. It's like making There's a lot of little smaller. crack crimps. Yeah. Here. It's been, it, yeah, been interesting. I need to seek out the squeezers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find them for you. but almost everything you've tried has like some little crack crimp on it you're like fuck i can't fit my fingers in here yeah yeah and yeah again like it's still i think it's still valuable to try them and not like just write them off but when you're looking for hard things that you might be able to do yeah Mm -hmm. just adds a bonus crux Mm -hmm, sometimes i like a bonus crux yeah like this problem's like uniquely challenging mm-hmm. for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like black mango chutney. <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about that one? Sure. I haven't even uh, I haven't really even seen it yet. I just saw it up on the hillside, but I haven't walked up to it yet. But yeah, there's a supposed V10. We all have Nemesis rigs. Yeah, we all have them. Even Ethan Pringle. <laughs> I uh, my like twelve year project here now is this v10 called black mango chutney that's at eight day rain um it gets flashed pretty regularly i think like you know i don't know if maybe there's just not another v10 in rocklands that's been flashed as many times as black mango chutney (laughs) but i tried it my first trip here um in 2011 just once like or like i i think i tried it more than once the day that i tried it but I tried it, you know, I had a short session on it and I was like, wow, this thing feels really hard for me for some reason. It's, it's like a few intro moves that are maybe like around V7 or something. And then you do a long pull to this like sort of Gaston crimp that's quite sharp. And, you know, you can take it, there's like a couple different ways to take it, but it's, it's, it's pretty munchy. It's like, quite quite sharp but very in cut like you can tell when you grab it you're like oh this you can really get your fingertips behind it but it's probably like a third of a pad in cut or something you have to do a huge move to that and then there's just one foot way to the right that you have to stab your right foot out to and put a bunch of your weight on and it's like facing kind of away from you which is weird like i i when i put my foot on it i have the tendency to like want to drop my knee but it doesn't really work Mm. um i think i it targets a couple weaknesses of mine one of which is like really small sharp crimps and another one is like keeping my hips really like square Mm. um i can keep my hips close to the wall when my feet are like close to me and right underneath me but when they're like far away maybe i have like a different i don't know issue with with like keeping the hips close but anyway this this climb has my number. I tried it 12 years ago, didn't do it. A couple friends on that trip who like struggled on a lot of things that like, or a couple of things that I flashed, namely like Black Shadow, um, like flashed it. So I was like, oh wow, I just, I'm not good at this climb. And then I went back and tried it again on this trip at the very start of the trip and, um, and didn't do it again. 
and in pretty decent conditions. Like it wasn't like cold, but it wasn't hot. It was like totally doable in the mm. conditions I tried it in. Yeah. I just, I'm just not good at this climb. <laughs> so I've tried it two times now, this V10, and I'm, you know, I haven't done it. But I did quintessential. Yeah. <laughs> we were like debating. We were we were underneath <laughs> the like platform where black mango chutney is. Um, and we were like, Paul Nadler and I were like, oh, what should we go try? Like we have a couple hours left in the day. Um, should we go try black mango chutney or should we go try quintessential? And I was like, we should we should go try quintessential. <laughs> it seems, <laughs> seems more doable for me. And I went and did it. Three grades harder. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I should make it a mission to try to finish Black Mango Chutney on this trip, but it's definitely like, yeah, feels like the hardest V10 I've ever tried. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so interesting. But we've watched numerous videos of people flashing it, and yeah. I know lots of people who have flashed it. And yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's like that hard for other people, but for me, it's really hard. Maybe it, it's a shoulder thing too. Like my left shoulder isn't super strong on like kind of really high Gaston holds. mm so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But yeah. Hard. Yeah. I mean, for people, people are probably listening like, okay, two sessions, like, you know, not exactly a nemesis rig, but like for, for context already on this trip, I don't, I think I've, I think I've seen you flash every, almost every boulder, like V10 and under that you've tried, like very, very casually, like with a lot of margin. Um, I've definitely flashed like plenty of, like V10s here yeah, that felt and harder. three grades easier yeah. than Black Mango Chutney. <laughs> but for some reason, <laughs> Black Mango... I mean, there are, there are also quite hard V10s here. Like, the section was hard. Mm, I had to, yeah. like, session that before I did it. Mm -hmm. um, but still, Black Mango Chutney, way harder than the section for me. <laughs> um, trip Proj. Yeah. I yeah, love... Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's frustrating when you encounter them and you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? But I uh, I do love a good Nemesis rig. It's just, yeah. it's kind of fun. It yeah. is. It's It feels like, you know, feels like a reason to keep coming back. Yeah. Like my all-time one, I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but um, it's this random V7 called Dangle in the forest land in Leavenworth. Like probably the bouldering area that I've spent more time than anywhere else mm -hmm. over all the years. And uh I did everything else in the area basically and could never do dangle. I just like couldn't do it. And I tried it like probably back in 2010 and like felt kind of close. I don't think I did it until last year. Oh, you did and, it. Yeah, I did it. Nice. But I, I did like the practitioner before I did dangle, <laughs> you know, and I did like everything else in the area and was just like, what is it about this climb? Yeah. Well, it's funny when there are certain things that are just like unanimously hard and sandbagged for everyone. That's the thing. Yeah, this one's not hard for everyone else. Like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of my people, black mango chutney. Yeah, a lot of people don't seem to what have What made an the issue. difference? You're not going to like this answer, but honestly, because, <laughs> well, because it's, uh, it's kind of board style at the bottom. Mm. It's kind of steep and just like crimpy and not that complicated, just like a big move to a crimp. Um, and then a lot of people struggle with the mantle because mm. it's a very techie mm. mantle, but I could do the mantle back in like 2010 and didn't think that was an issue. I just couldn't do the bottom. I remember like climbing with this random dude from Seattle one time and he climbed through the bottom 12 times and fell off the mantle every time and didn't send. And he like wouldn't try the mantle on its own. And I was like infuriated. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, dude, if I could get through it once, I would definitely send this boulder. But um, I think I just, I just like couldn't pull hard enough on holds on, on like small holds on a steep overhang. Mm. 
um, until a year ago. Mm. Yeah. You trained. I, yeah, I just got stronger at steep stuff and nice. fingers. Yeah. You trained for dangle. I trained for dangle. <laughs> I didn't know I was, but. Nice job. It all came to fruition with dangle. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you just need to train for black mango chutney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I wonder if, if black mango chutney was like... Just do more reps on quintessential and sky to train for black mango chutney. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go, cl- like, climb, like... I'm, uh, I'm just... Yeah, I've just never been so shut down by a move like that before. Mm. I wonder if there was, like, a bolt right at my waist and I could just pull on to the crux of black mango chutney if I could just, like, figure it out. Mm. You have to go ground up. You can get a push. Yeah. It's a little mm-hmm. different, though. You've said a couple things so far that I want to circle back to. Um, Monchi holds? Munchie holds? Munchie. I uh, I think we all know what you mean, it, but I just think it's interesting. That's like kind of a new term. So just like kind of a nasty hold that, that kind of bites into your skin, maybe mm-hmm. uneven. Yeah, like, you know, uniform. certain holds you grab and you like come off the wall and you look at your skin. You're like, ooh, I have a little... little uh, like canyon <laughs> being formed in my finger because of that hold or whatever. Like, you know, there's that's munchy. plenty munch- of holds, especially in Rocklands that are just like really sharp in one little spot that just mm-hmm. gets you in the same spot over and over. And you're like, well, I, you know, only have a few tries on that hold before I have to give up or yeah. just grab it a different way or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, lots of holds here like that. And then micromanaging holds. Mm. I understand that to be, like a, a kind of a complex hold with a lot of little nuance on it mm-hmm. and knowing how to like take the hold very specifically or maybe like readjust at a certain point mm-hmm. really specifically to get the best part of the hold. Is that what you mean? Yeah, totally. Just like, you know, making sure all your fingers are on the right, like on the right place on the hold. I mean, I think it goes even further than that sometimes. Like on quintessential, I could like grab the left hand start hold just how I wanted it. But in order to make the first move feel like okay, instead of really desperate, I would have to like dig my fingers behind the hold. Mm. You know, I'd have to like, like get as much it. skin. Yeah, I'd have to roll into it. I'd have to get as much skin on the hold as I could and then get my thumb all nice and good too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, there's a lot. I think, yeah, I think that's one just practice or tactic that, can elevate your performance on boulders, especially in Rocklands. Yeah. It's just like knowing how to micromanage bad holds. I'm often surprised at um, at how many people just grab holds without much thought. They just, like really strong people that are climbing really hard, they just grab the hold however they grab the hold and don't second guess it and just pull on it, which, you know, credit to them that they can do that. But I'm I'm often surprised, like, okay, that holds hard for me and I know exactly the best way to hold it because I have to hold it that way. Same. And why why, like, why like, aren't these people even looking at the, the hold more closely? Um, maybe it's because they don't have to. They don't have to, yeah. But or maybe like they do a, that on the hard stuff for them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's just, maybe I do the same thing when I'm trying like stuff more within my means, but... I think the like... It's, yeah, it's surprising. The people the elite level boulders who spend like all the time they spend outdoor rock climbing is like trying hard boulders basically like the Jimmy Webbs and the Sean Rabs and the Keenan Takahashi's like they're super 
and you know, like everyone, most of the like V16 boulders out there that I've observed, like just looking at problems or like feeling problems before they try or before they pull on for a flash or like just feeling holds on stuff they might want to project. Like they're so detail oriented. They're so detail oriented and they're so like focused on how they grab the holds. Mm. You know, they're like grabbing the holds super carefully and they're like, you know, getting all their fingers on just the right spot and they're looking the way they're looking at the way their fingers sit on the hold. I think I think like the the really, really seasoned elite level boulders all all do that. You know, they're really clued into how how they're grabbing the holds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, maybe some people who are like on their first or second trip to Rocklands and they spend nine months out of the year training in a gym. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and they're just used to a little bit more used to grabbing gym holds than they are like holds outside. Mm-hmm. And they're super duper strong. Mm-hmm. Um, like they have a large margin on, even on really hard stuff. Like they just don't need to pay as close attention. Right. That makes but, sense. Yeah. you know, that Finnish kid, that really tall Finnish kid that we saw trying monkey wedding and that we saw try, um, do that 8A dyno really easily at power lines. Like he was, you know, he seemed really like clued into how he was grabbing the holds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had a thought, but it escaped me. I think I might take my jacket off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hot. Pause. <clears throat> oh! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Interview with old man Pringle. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't decide. I'm like, it's like halfway in between hoodie conditions and t shirt conditions right now. Yeah. I'm not quite ready to be in a t shirt, but getting there rapidly. How are you? How's your back feeling? It's okay. Okay. Yeah, I think this is definitely better than sitting in a chair. Okay, great. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Um, I want to talk about some Ethan habits that I've observed so okay. far. And get, <laughs> get your trouble? hot take. No, not at all. Okay. Um, yeah, just just interesting things that may or may not yield uh, helpful tidbits for people, helpful nuggets. Rolling out. Mm. You you are very good about taking time to roll out and like take care of your body in whatever way works for you. It seems like you found what works for you and makes your body feel good and you take the time to do it like every night before we go to bed. We're like, you know, talking around the fire in the kitchen. We've cleaned up dinner and we're just sitting having tea and, you know, we're just sitting there and then Ethan's up and moving around and you've got a lacrosse ball and then you're on the floor and then you've got your crazy like, like you brought a a roller, I don't even know what to call it, with you on this trip that's like, it's like a cl- it looks like a clamp, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's it looks like an arm made but on steroids. Yes, yeah, ex- that's exactly With how I was going to des- describe it's, it. It's called a roll recovery. A roll recovery. Yeah, it's a it's roll, massive. roll recovery is the brand, and R eight is like the it's product. amazing that you flew that thing to South Africa. Well, it's actually made for runners' legs. Okay. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a recovery tool, mostly like marketed for runners. Um, and you know, you do a ton of long hikes in Rocklands. Mm-hmm. So I knew I would want it for that reason, um, just to like help my legs recover after like a long day of hiking. 
but it's it's nice for the arms too. Mm-hmm. But it just feels really good. Like if your legs feel really tight and like kind of sore after a long day of hiking, and you like roll them with the with the R8, feels like instantly better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I use the use the lacrosse ball a ton. That's like my my main main recovery gadget. What do you notice from that? Is it just does it just feel good and so you do it? Do you notice a difference if you don't do it the next day? Um it's hard to say. I mean, I do it almost every night. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I like have a frame of reference for what happens if I don't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not willing Maybe to risk it would it. mostly be the same. I mean, I spent, you know, I think I'm almost 30 years into climbing now and I probably spent like, you know, a solid 16 or 17 of them not doing any of this stuff and mm. I was fine, but I was also younger, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm one thing I'm, well, two things I'm extremely diligent about are drinking water. I was gonna, that was the next thing on my list. I drink a lot of water. I know, I've noticed. Yeah. You drink, so I, I drink like two liters to the crag. I have not been drinking enough water on this trip. Like I'll, Drink coffee in the morning, not drink enough water before we go climbing, bring two liters, often not finish them both by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's probably not enough. And you fill up like a giant camelback every time we go climbing. How much water do you think you drink in a day on a climbing day? A whole day? Or sure. just like while we're out climbing? I probably drink... Both, both answers. I probably drink 1.5 to two, two gallons of water per day. Wow. Yeah. At least 1.5 gallons. And then how much do you think you drink while we're climbing? I probably drink about a half liter per hour if I'm like actively climbing. Half liter per hour. If I'm resting and I'm just at the boulders, I'll drink less for sure. But Mm -hmm. if I'm like, if I'm like climbing a lot or if I'm projecting something, I drink a lot of water. Mm -hmm. I probably drink about a half liter an hour. So if I'm going out for like a six hour sesh, I'll bring like, I'll bring three liters of water. Okay. I won't always finish them, but I'll I'll bring three liters. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm out for six hours, I'll probably finish three liters. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's lots of rest mixed in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who drinks as much water as I do. <laughs> <laughs> At least not a climber. Maybe like ultra runners do. I don't I don't know. I don't think they I don't they don't have time. Just running. They're just running. And they can't yeah. carry that much water. Yeah. I think they like, I think runners are really good at like pre-gaming the water, mm. like drinking a lot the day before mm-hmm. and the morning of mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. I remember Jonathan Segrist telling me he was doing that on, on, on like rest days in France when we were there together. Just drinking like, a, ton a ton of water. water on this rest day. Hmm. I was like, that's great. I drink less on my rest days than I do on my climbing days. Okay. Yeah. But I, th- I attribute my relative lack of injuries in my almost 30 years of climbing to the fact that I drink a ton of water. Huh. Simple. I've pretty much never had a finger injury. You're well hydrated. I'm well hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well oiled too. You should, you you know how much butter I put in my food. (laughs) Butter and water. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I roll out a lot. (laughs) Um, My friend, uh, good, good friend back home from the Bay, I've known him for like 25 years or so. Mike Papsiak, he, he's a body worker um, from Berkeley and he gives all of his clients lacrosse balls to take home with them. Mm. And uh, he also does like, he does clinics. 
like sort of giving people like I just became aware of my posture. Oh, like we're talking about this, and I'm like, God damn it, I'm slouching. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. That's okay. Um, <laughs> awareness is good. Yeah. So anyway, he he turned me on to the lacrosse ball a bunch of years ago, and just yeah, been using it a ton ever since. It's mm. so it's so portable and easy to take on trips with you. And once you know how to use it, and you like get better at using it, you can use it like on your entire body. There's like not mm. a, there's there are very few places that you like can't use it on. Mm-hmm. Like you know, arms, back, shoulders, chest, abdomen, thighs, like legs, hamstrings, feet. Mm-hmm. And it feels amazing. If you spend like 20 minutes rolling out, you know, drink some water, you're just like, oh, I feel so much better. Mm. Get in bed all relaxed. <laughs> it's probably, yeah, it's probably great for that, actually. I mean, that that's like something that people talk about, like you're stretching before bed to kind of ramp up your parasympathetic nervous system. And... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it has that a little bit of that effect too. Mm-hmm. I should stretch more. I used to stretch does a the, lot more. Does the rolling out help you maintain flexibility or help with that at all? Do you Probably. Think? One thing that... Okay, now I'm hot. You can keep going. One thing that my friend Mike told, like, told me a long time ago that kind of stuck with me, and I don't know if he's like changed his philosophy on this at all, but he said this thing that really stuck with me, which was that you can't ask length of uh, like tendon or ligament or joint or muscle that it doesn't like, that it doesn't have. Mm. If you imagine your like tendons as like a rubber band, like if you, you know, if they get really dry and crusty, they can snap more easily. Mm. And I think, you know, supposedly like something that the lacrosse ball helps with is just like, you know, loosening and lubricating your, your like ligaments and joints and connective tissue and stuff. Mm. And then you can like stretch it more easily. That's something that always, that's always stuck with me, but I don't know how he feels about that now. Hmm. Or if that's like contradictory to modern science or something. Yeah. I'm sure you know people who could fact check this for us. Yeah. (laughs) I know I'm thinking of Mercedes Palmeyer right now Mm. and many others. <clears throat> I mean, if it were, it, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, if it feels good and if it's working for you, yeah, it feels good and it it seems to be working. So, I'm gonna stick with it. I could definitely impl- implement more stretching though, mm. especially here in Rocklands. I feel like so many of the climbs that I've tried so far on this trip, like I really have to warm up my hips mm. to like the movement. Mm-hmm. There's like some really high heel hook that, like, I just can't do my first like you know, four or six tries. And then like my, my hips get more warmed up and more open and more like, you know, there's more synovial fluid or whatever in them. And then I can just like do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm sure that like doing some sort of intentional stretching beforehand would go a long way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This place is kind of, uh, it's heavy on the heels. Like I've noticed that with my knees, I, I like feel like I need to be thoughtful about warming up my legs and knees um, before mm-hmm. some of, before some of these boulders just because you're like doing a lot of heel toe cams and kind of sitting on them for a while and mm-hmm. like doing big moves off of them and mm-hmm. it just feels slightly risky yeah a lot I think I think the style here is like a sort of risky one mm. it feels like a risky one like I know a lot of people who suffer like injurious risky? just injurious it's an injurious style here yeah you know, really fingery stuff, really big moves off, like you said, off of 
weird heel toe cams or toe hooks or whatever. Really, like, sh- really shouldery climbing. Hmm. A lot of it feels like really shouldery climbing. Some of it's just, like, dangling straight up and down, but some of it's, like, big lateral moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely helps to have a have a robust system mm-hmm. and climb somewhat carefully or like in a controlled manner. Okay, that's actually a good segue for my next Ethanism. Take your time. There's two things that you say when people are climbing above all else. You say, deep breaths, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but we've talked a lot about that. We've talked a lot about breathing. Um, and you've given me some great advice for breathing. But take your time. You say that a lot when people are climbing. What do you mean by that? I think it helps to climb a little bit more slowly and deliberately than most people do, especially like even on stuff that they know really well. I think that there's like a certain number of days that like that you can put into a project that maybe allows you to climb a little bit faster and like with less less deliberation and less like care. But I think overall people don't climb with enough deliberation and care and they like rush. Mm-hmm. I think I think like universally when people are climbing, they're rushing. Mm. Almost universally. I, I think this is really interesting because it's kind of counter to what's popular right now. I think Adam Andra popularized like just raging and going super fast, basically as fast as you can. Um, and it's kind of moved from... You know, like the paradigm maybe in the 90s was like the really slow controlled French style. And now it's kind of shifted towards like faster, mm-hmm. jumpier climbing just in general. But a lot of outdoor climbing is or often, well, yeah, it's slower. It's slower. Um, and like you said with, because I, I think this is interesting because I get trolled for climbing slow sometimes. And um, it's often by people who spend a lot of time moonboarding. Mm. Like, don't rock climb. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this boulder has one really bad hold on it. And the rest of the boulder is not that hard. Mm-hmm. And so if I really take my time to get the hold right, mm-hmm. I can do the boulder. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, then I can't do the boulder. But I don't need to, like, rush through to save energy because the rest of the climb is not that hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that that's what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. Like, you you want to, That's that's one element of it, I think like making sure you're grabbing all the holds correctly and making sure you're taking the time to orient your body in the positions that are like the most optimal for doing the moves and saving energy and stuff. Um, I think if you rush, you're, you know, you're not focusing as much on the body positions. You're not focusing as much on how you're grabbing the holds, which are really like important details for just like sending rock climbs. Um, you know, and, and Adam Andra climbs fast on stuff that he's tried for months or mm. weeks or whatever, you know? Like Adam Andra, he might even climb sort of fast on an onsite, but Adam Andra has a large margin on most of the things that he tries. Mm-hmm. And the things that we see him climbing super fast on are things that he's probably tried like a million times, you know? He's not, he's, I don't think, when you watch videos of Adam Andra onsighting, most of the time he's not climbing fast. He's climbing kind of slow and deliberately mm-hmm. and like paying really close attention to how he's grabbing the holds. Mm-hmm. Also, one thing that Adam Andra doesn't do a ton of is readjust. Yeah, that's also on my list. Readjusting. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing this interview. Good job. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the take your time thing for just one more second, which I think that one of the biggest things that 
spending a little bit more time in like the pause between moves allows you to do is to decide to do the move. Mm. I think when you're rushing, you don't have as much time to be like, okay, I'm going to do this move now. You're just like trying it. And then you're like, whatever energy or like conversation is in your head about that move. When you started the move is what's like going to be the outcome. Hmm. But sometimes you need, but sometimes really you need to like climb a little more slowly and deliberately and like get to the crux and like take a second to like talk yourself into doing it. That's interesting. And I don't think people like do that. And I think that there's also like, you know, there's also a lot of other tricks that sort of like open up when you climb a little bit more slowly and deliberately. You're like, oh yeah, I need to like look at the next hole when I go for it. Or mm. like, there's just like, you have more room for, I don't know. Like obviously you don't want to like set up for a dyno and then like hang there on the holds for 30 seconds before you try it. But I think sometimes it might be beneficial to like hang there for three seconds mm. to be like, okay, I'm going to do it now, you mm -hmm. know? And you can always make those decisions before you get on the wall. But I think, you know, you just feel differently when you're, when you get there mm -hmm. and you're not always talked into it before you get on the wall. Sometimes you feel unsure and you need to see how you feel when you get there. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like Jonathan Segrist does that really well. Like I can kind of picture him. I've watched a lot mm -hmm. of his videos and he um he kind of has he has a slow controlled style and he'll mm -hmm. often get to like a really hard distinct crux move and like really pause with his body and like hold that position for 2 or 3 seconds and then load up and do the move. It's like mm -hmm. he sets up, he stares at the hold, mm -hmm. holds that position for a couple seconds mm -hmm. and then like loads up and mm -hmm. goes for it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting cuz like deciding to do the move at least with bouldering feels kind of counterintuitive to me. It probably just depends on the boulder, but I'm thinking about some of the harder things I've done. And um, I feel like what puts me in the best performance mindset is just like presence and kind of the autopilot thing, like mm -hmm. letting my body just do what it knows to do without hesitation. Mm -hmm. um, and that conscious thought of like, okay, I'm going to go for it now would almost interrupt that and bring in more hesitation potentially? Hmm. Like while you're on the climb? Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. I think the two can live. Like, I think that you can, I think that you can keep like a neutral, like aware, conscious, like mindset and still get to the crux and like decide to try as hard as you can. Mm. And like take a second to like let the, like intention sink in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely be on autopilot without rushing too. Maybe that's part of, part of the distinction here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think autopilot takes, takes some work to get to too. I think the autopilot phase of a project is like days into it. Mm. Like the not, the, the, the sort of the no thought the no thought climbing, like mm -hmm. the flow state climbing. I think on projects it can take, I don't think it has to. I mean, you can, you can be in a flow state on like on sites too. I think it's just harder mm. when there's like a lot more uncertainty and like, yeah. Are you like a very cerebral climber? You think, are you like thinking, making a lot of conscious decisions and thinking? I think I'm very detail oriented. Yeah. I think I'm like, I have like that sort of 
perfectionism, detail-oriented, like, bent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah, I see that in yeah. your climbing for sure. I think that like sometimes that sometimes makes me a little heady on projects. Like I, I think that like I used to I used to be a little better at like just accessing beast mode and trying really hard, and now it's like, you know, I'm like okay, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. I got to do it all right. You know, or like if you grab a hold slightly wrong. Yeah, or I just like give up more easily than I used to. Hmm. <laughs> especially on boulders especially on like you know boulders that seem slightly consequential I just like have a lot more like talking myself into it to do hmm. but yeah that's why you just like keep trying and maybe you're like your mind just eventually gets there like on 30s I was like I probably could have done it four tries earlier but I had to sort of like keep feeling it out and like mm-hmm. you know because I was like conv- like I think my body was kind of convincing my mind that I was just going to like dry fire off the holds. Mm-hmm. And I had to like just throw a caution to the wind and try anyway a couple mm-hmm. times. Like I had to maybe try with like 50% and then 75% and then 100%. You had to like warm up to the yeah. commitment for the yeah. last move. Because yeah. it's it's like a committing last move. Yeah, it's a committing there. last move from really bad holds with like a really high foot. Mm. I think I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. I'm definitely that way. Like yeah. With but some people stuff. aren't. Like Keenan is just like he's just ready to like try a hundred percent. Like amazing. as soon as he like first try from yeah. the bottom. That's cool. really incredible. Other people have that too. I think I don't know. A pro- probably a lot of people have that. Jimmy is like I don't know. I don't know if he just has such a big margin or if he's just like trying a hundred percent every time he pulls on the wall. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe he's just so used to trying a hundred percent that he's just like. Oh, this isn't even 100% for me. This is like, this, this V11 is like only 75% for me. But if I give it 100%, then I'm, you know, definitely going to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's, um, I think that's one of the cruxes of being a sport climber and a boulderer. You know, mm-hmm. like those guys climb hard sport routes too, but they don't, they're not really sport climbers. Like they're definitely boulderers who can climb hard sport mm-hmm. routes. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, have spent times or seasons or years focused on being the best sport climber you can be. It's all about like perfecting the yin and yang where you're like flowing and you're efficient as possible. And then you turn it on and try hard and then you're immediately back to efficiency. Definitely. And it's hard to not do like I boulder kind of the same way that I sport climb, you know, like it's, it's so counterintuitive for me to pull on and like, I'm going to try a hundred percent this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to just like be as economical as, as I can, which I think is a good skill, but but yeah, um, I think it makes it harder to pull on the wall and be like, 100%, mm-hmm. here we go, mm-hmm. from first try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think that's like one thing that I may be like, it takes me time to access, whereas like people who just like exist, and I think it's probably like certain like, people and personalities and stuff too Mm -hmm. totally yeah but i think that i i have to like i have often i have to talk myself into the really hard stuff and Mm. or the like the slightly scarier stuff i think i want moves to feel good i think i do too and so when they don't feel good i keep problem solving them (laughs) 
because I feel like something's wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. And either eventually I get them to feel good. Yeah. Or I realize it's just not going to feel good. And, and you I just, just have, have to try. Try, try anyway, harder. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenon I experience quite often here. Mm-hmm. Here more than... I feel places. like here there's like, you know, there are a lot of like weird insecure moves that you just have to commit 100% to, mm-hmm. whether they're like high off the ground or not. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. You're like, oh, I don't know if that heel's going to stay. And then you just like, maybe you do some amount of like figuring out how to make it stay and then some amount of just trusting it and mm-hmm. like trying hard anyway. Yeah. And like throwing caution to the wind. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I, um, I mean, it is kind of board style because that's the same thing that I have to learn whenever I like spend time on the moon board. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, the positions don't feel good and you just have to do the move anyway. Mm-hmm. And here I've noticed like my feet have slipped off a lot already mm. on this trip, like mm-hmm. more, way more than usual. Mm. And I think it's because a lot of the moves, the position, the body positions just are off. They're mm-hmm. weird. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still learning how to like keep pressure on a foot that's like totally weird and in the wrong spot with like your hip you know, your butt sticking out or wh- whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funky climbing here. Mm-hmm. Not quite as straightforward as you'd think. Right. Yeah, I expect it to be a lot more straightforward and gym-like. I think, I think like, flexibility and mobility seem to come in handy a lot here. Mm. Like, doing some small contortions with your hips or knees or shoulders. Right. Or wrists. Yeah, totally. Like grabbing a pinch above your head. That's like pinches above your head or like pinches that aren't like on an axis that like kind of torques your wrist to the side or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like when I, when I got up and I felt the position after the crux move of the finish line, I was like, I don't understand how to pull on this pinch with my wrist. Cause your hands like my my hands like this straight above me really high. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what (laughs) makes no sense. (laughs) I need like way stronger wrists or something, hmm. or I need to just be so strong that I can like engage. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. really know what it is, but <laughs> really, like I think it's, I think it helps to have really strong thumbs here. Hmm. You're, I'm pulling with my thumbs a lot here, even on crimps. I'm like crimping with my thumb a lot. Hmm. <laughs> We're, <laughs> We're really getting into the weeds here. <laughs> Should we move on? Hopefully you guys are planning trips to Rocklands and this is helpful. <laughs> um, adjusting on holds, back to that. I thought that was really interesting. Andre doesn't readjust much. Andre doesn't readjust on holds. So yeah, it's Andre, you, if you're you were having a, you were having you a conversation. You can do Mundo if you readjust a little more. That's all you need to do. And try you, it with better temps. You were having a conversation with Jonathan Segrist about this and you guys were both noticing that Andre doesn't adjust on holds. And it, I mean, this is an interesting topic because... Um, like one of the great skills, I talked about this with Louis Parkinson, but like one of the great skill drills to work on in the gym is sticky hands, sticky feet, where you're like, however you hit the hold is how you have to use the hold. And that's a Mm -hmm. great way to practice precision and like grabbing things with Mm -hmm. intention and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that is the great difference between gym climbing and rock climbing is that the holds are way more complicated and often like you can't take them perfectly when you first grab them. Or it's really hard to, mm-hmm. um, and it helps to, or even like you do, you stick the hold in one position and you have to do the next move from a different position on the hold and you have to adjust mm-hmm. and shift your hand. But yeah, it's a way bigger part of climbing and rock climbing. And I was surprised that, um, yeah, I was surprised that that's like 
almost a, a goal for you is to do more of that rather than less of that. Readjusting? Yeah. Maybe not a goal, but... I think I am definitely, like, the type of climber who, like, wants to grab every hold perfect, especially on, like, a hard sport route. It's so interesting watching that. I mean, obviously, like, Andra's climbing has probably evolved a ton in the last 10 years, but watching that Ladura complete movie mm-hmm. of Chris and, and Adam climbing Ladura Dura, just how different their styles are and the way that they move and the way that they climb, so different. They both do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Adam is just like, Rah! like he's he's trying really hard in every move and he's not really readjusting. He's just kind of like, like thrashing his up, way up it. Flying yeah, up flying, climbing so fast. Yeah. And he can do that and he can send, but Chris is like super careful and methodical and like readjusting on every hold to get it perfect and then just like making the next move look as easy as possible. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know what. What was it about watching Andra on Perfecto Mundo that? Well, I think pockets. I think like you have to readjust a ton on pockets. Hmm. You know, not a ton, but it's like it helps, especially pockets in Margolf where they're like, kind of, like, thin in-cut lips, and then like you have to kind of like whittle your finger into a lot of into your like your fingers into a lot of them. Hmm. And. um yeah. I mean, obviously, he was also trying it with, like, pretty poor conditions, like, humid and warm. Yeah. But, like, I think I think one thing that Andre doesn't do a lot of, because he probably doesn't need to in a lot of cases, is, like, readjust on holds. Maybe he just, like, had it in his mind from a young age that he, like, didn't have the time or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, like, rolled with that. But I don't know. I mean, Andre's climbed 15d and i haven't so (laughs) (laughs) he's he probably knows a few things that i don't um but yeah i don't think that andre like does a ton of readjusting probably because in most situations he doesn't need to Mm -hmm. but he is also really methodical i mean it's funny like when i watched that video of him on sighting the golden ticket way back when I noticed, wow, he's like getting more fingers in this pocket than the people who are like red pointing this route. Mm. Like he, he knows how to milk a hold. Fingers too. Thick fingers, yeah. yeah. And he's got such a large margin up there that he's like, he can readjust until he's like got the hold good. Whereas mm. people who are like desperate and pumped as shit are like barely getting a finger or two in it. Mm. They're just like, ah, doing the next move. But he's like, oh, I'll take the time to get this hold good. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe our assessment is completely <laughs> completely false. <laughs> well, I guess the takeaway for people is try to take the holds perfectly. Especially and then rock. if you don't have them perfectly, take the time to get them right and readjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take your time. Take your time. Yeah. Nice. Take your time. Take the time to talk yourself into it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's hot. It's hot. I could take all my clothes off. (laughs) (laughs) You can if you want to. No one's going to see this. (laughs) Except all your YouTube subscribers. Yeah, all my all my patrons and YouTube subscribers. Um, cool. That's all the topics I have for Rocklands and Mm. and climbing. I think. Mm. No, I have some wrap up questions for Mm. climbing and goals and things later, but we can save that for the end. Okay, but. 
so yeah, last time we did this was, I think, let's see, our first conversation was two years ago, three years ago, it was three years ago. And then I think we, you interviewed me that fall mm-hmm. and then we've had like a couple random, you did a follow up and we chat on the phone and put that on the internet like a year after that or something. But yeah, we haven't done this in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about your dad? Yeah, sure. So yeah, in our first conversation, um, episode 21, I think. So it was an early one. But we talked a lot wow. about your journey with your dad after his stroke and basically like the kind of the chronic grief that you were experiencing, like having a dad who wasn't the full like previous version of himself, but he's still with you and still alive. And it's just... I don't know. It, it really stuck with me. It's just like, wow, that's such a unique situation to be in. Like we, we hear about losing people and we hear about grief and denial and like processing all those steps. But um, I don't know, maybe it's similar to like having a chronic illness yourself or something and just kind of being, um, having this longer experience with, with grief. Um, and yeah, like seeing that with your dad. When, when did you have a stroke that lasted for like 10 years or something? Nine and change, yeah. Nine and change, yeah. Yeah, he had a stroke on September 4th, 2013. And then passed November 6th, 2022. So just over nine years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. What happened? (laughs) Bad timing. Hold on a second. Maybe it is. Maybe it's okay. Time to go pee. Okay. Ugh. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team of climbers from Denver, Colorado. I love these things. I never thought I'd be going back to using radios in the year 2023, but these things are awesome. Here's the deal. We all have phones, but sometimes phones aren't very helpful. Let's say you're climbing a multi-pitch or you're backcountry skiing and don't want to drop your phone in the snow or you're mountain biking and it's a pain to stop and get your phone out or you don't have service. Phones are not always the best option. The best way to communicate in the backcountry is with Rocky Talkies. These things are made by climbers for climbers. They're super compact. They weigh less than half a pound. They come with a built-in carabiner so you can easily clip them to your pack or harness. And the battery lasts over three days, even in winter conditions. So cool. I actually use these bouldering in Waco tanks this winter. There were a few times when I made plans to meet up with friends at the boulders. I knew I wouldn't have cell reception and the Rocky Talkies worked perfectly. And they're so much fun. I'm a huge fan. Get 10% off your first pair of Rocky Talkies by going to rockytalkie.com slash nugget. That's rockytalkie.com slash nugget for 10% off your first order of backcountry radios. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, and I'm always looking for good crag snacks to bring to the boulders 
or to the cliff, something with some substance to keep me fueled for hours and hours of climbing. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they're super convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted, that's my favorite, super basic, I know. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good, you literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family or friends, or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. Okay, and we're back. And we're back <laughs> after a longer than intended break. <clears throat> a lot of moving parts. Here How's your back feeling? It's okay. It feels okay right now. Nice. Yeah. Look I mean, at you. In this moment. Look at you sitting up. Yeah. But when I got up from the the prone position out there, it hurt a little for sure. Mm. Yeah. It's a little frustrating. Yeah. It's annoying. Is it just like tightness? <clears throat> lower back tightness? I think I think a few <clears throat> muscles in my lower back are seized up or something. I had a sleeping injury. God damn it. Mm -hmm. The worst. I had a really deep night of sleep on my back and my back was maybe a little too arched mm. and it's been it's been really been getting worse ever since <laughs> yay 37 37's the new 57 <laughs> sleeping injuries mm -hmm. it's funny with well <clears throat> i'm they're probably not unrelated but it's funny with all the like you do some wild shit and it's just funny with all the like adventurous you know potentially consequential things that you do out of the boulders that you got a sleeping injury mm -hmm. but, but maybe maybe all the landing on crash pads led to the sleeping injury they might have made it worse yeah 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 falling onto my butt from like 15 feet off of 30s and new 20 might have, mm. might have contributed but yeah it feels like maybe everything everything is a contributor mm-hmm yeah, dang. But I have an appointment tomorrow with a physio who will hopefully just miraculously fix it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> we can what, hope. That's what I'm counting on. Nice. <laughs> I want to I enjoy the rest of the trip <clears throat> pain-free. Yeah. If possible. For sure. Because it's been, yeah, it's been kind of a lot. The whole time since Cape Town? No, it was like a few days after we got here. Okay. And I, I woke up and I was like, oh, my back's kind of tight. And then just over the next day or two, it was like, got worse and worse. And then it's just been like, yeah, not quite shooting pain, but something like that. Like every time I get up off of the ground or off out of a chair mm -hmm. and then like, I can tell that my lower back is super tight, mm. like around my tailbone. Mm -hmm. It's so tight, like high stepping. I can feel it just feels really, really, really tight back there. Dang. Yeah. So I don't know what the long-term cure is, but hopefully it's like not a, I don't know. I need to, I need to start doing some, something, some stretching for my lower back or some stretching, stretching and strengthening. Maybe mm -hmm. I need to do more deadlifts. Mm. <clears throat> there we go. Deadlifts. 
Yeah, because swole, dude. Yeah. Swole is the answer. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think like, of course, I've talked about it a lot. I don't think deadlifting is like the key to sending hard because so many people climb hard and never lift weights, but mm -hmm. it definitely has helped my back a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's made me mm -hmm. stronger in ways that help climbing too. But um, yeah. I remember when I was like 18, I thought I had a a bad back or just a weak back or whatever because mm -hmm. I always had lower back pain. And if I like... Mm -hmm sat the wrong way for too long or like mountain biking i would always have back pain mm. um i think i just had a really weak back and never did anything for it mm. and then i started deadlifting and like completely went away and i've never had issues since wow mm -hmm. i've heard a lot of people um tell me stories like that and like now i can slouch in bad posture and it's fine it's no big deal <laughs> okay well i want to be probably able to not slouch. ideal but it's, yeah yeah yeah, it so, definitely helps. So maybe I need to start start deadlifting. Yeah. On this trip. On this trip. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Would it be the same if I just we like hook put up my that tension tindic. board, like the the string of my tension board under my feet and just like pulled as hard as I could? <laughs> um you could do some isometrics. I don't know if the tension block would be oh the like the flashboard. The flashboard. Yeah, yeah. you could do the flashboard. Yeah. We could we could we could set that up. Yeah, you target target different angles and positions okay. and like see what feels best. Yeah, we'll get you isometric deadlifting. I need to, yeah, I need to, do, use the I need to start doing something, especially if this um, <clears throat> this PT appointment doesn't doesn't cure cure me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The carrying the heavy crash pads is like maybe one of the biggest contributing factors too. Yeah, a warning about Rocklands. Yeah. Out of carrying heavy crash pads here. Bouldering. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. All you need is two crash pads, a Makita, three a pairs of shoes, a rope, a harness, a gallon of a water. Gree -gree, a gallon of water. <laughs> Snacks. Snacks. <laughs> Lights. Lights. Puffy jackets, multiple pairs of clothes, shorts, pants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are literally all things that I carry <laughs> with me every single day I go climbing. <laughs> So pure. Yeah, it's so pure. <laughs> Meanwhile, bare, barefoot Charles is just like living just in hiking, a cave, hiking out eating to, walnuts, hiking out to the boulders in his pea coat without anything. Yeah, <laughs> just like that guy figured it out. Yeah, doesn't yeah. need anything. No crash pads. Just chalk. It's amazing that he doesn't use crash pads. Like the barefoot thing is its own thing. It's great. Whatever. If you spend all your time climbing barefoot, like you get better at it. That's really cool. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no crash pads. That's amazing. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe we don't need him as much as we think we do. Mm -hmm. I mean, he also like, he's like a very, very slight, slight man. Mm. Strong, but slight. That's and true. And he probably lands a little softer uh, yeah. than we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> All right. Where were we? <clears throat> we were talking we about start, my dad. We were starting to talk about something serious. And then, yeah. and then, and then you got hot and took your clothes off and then we... Try to do that, and I it was I couldn't. Stephen got it. a got a, a cute case of the giggles. I, I got giggle fits, yeah. staring at you, basically naked, trying to have a serious conversation about your dad passing away. So now we're in the house, yeah. and it's clothed. Yeah, it's clothed, and it's clothed. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bad, Brad. It's bad. Uh, um. Yeah, yeah my where, dad. Where were we? Um. I think I asked you what happened. Hmm. Yeah, my basically the the short story is that my dad had been declining for like a few years and there had been a couple like covert covid outbreaks at his boarding care and then in September of 2022 there was a 
COVID outbreak and he contracted it. And that was kind of like the beginning of the end. Mm. Like his decline just like accelerated um, really rapidly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I knew was like kind of a possibility, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was still like kind of unexpected. What was his, what was his state like in the years preceding that? Like what was his quality of life like and what was his life like? He was just living at the boarding care for, for he years. He was just sitting. Well, the first like, he he was definitely a lot more with it the first five or so years after his stroke. He he could he could call me on the phone and he could like have conversations. I have some recordings of his voice hmm. and some videos of him. And he like watching the videos from like 2017, 2018 and before, um, there's a there's a noticeable difference. Like obviously, like something had happened to him. Like you'd see it, and you're like, oh, this you know, this guy's in a wheelchair, and um, something happened to him, you know. But he could he could have conversations. He could like tell stories from the past. He could call me and leave me voice messages, and then, but he was still like, you know, his left side was completely paralyzed, so he couldn't stand. He couldn't walk could hardly feed himself. Mm. Like he could kind of feed himself. He would, they like he, he was like kind of more or less left to himself, like at mealtimes and stuff um, before COVID. But um, it would, you know, he'd like often make a mess, but he could, he still like had a certain amount of like mental faculty and sharpness and like alertness. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, but he was stuck in his wheelchair and in bed and unless i came or my brother came to like take him out he would just stay in his room in his boarding care like all the time mm. he also had a couple of physical therapists um who would come see him like weekly and um sky who was his last physical therapist for like the last five or six years of his life, um, he would come like almost twice a week, every week. So he would like, Sky was probably the person who saw him most hmm. for for like a while. Like I would come like often in chunks of time, like when I was at home and stuff, but Sky was there like almost every week for five years. Mm -hmm. But he was like the last... Um, <clears throat> the last like three, two to three years, he didn't get in his chair as much. He would like stay in bed almost all day. Mm. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a pretty sad quality of life, like a pretty sad existence. Yeah. <clears throat> and the thing you end up thinking is like, this is it. Like, this is as good as it gets. And every time there's like a noticeable decline, you're like, now this is as good as it gets mm. and there's no going back to how it was before. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's no going back to like the way he was before his stroke, but there's also, you know, like every time he declines more and more, you're like, wow, I can't believe. Yeah. It just brings up a lot of questions about like what we do with like elderly people and like ailing people in, in positions like he was in. Mm-hmm. Did it feel like, like at what point does it 
when you think back, like kind of retrospectively, at what point does it feel like you lost your dad? Like, do you think of it that way? Was there like a, a period where <clears throat> he declined to, to such an extent that you just didn't have a connection with him anymore when he was still alive or did his passing feel like a definitive losing of your dad or was it? I think it was his passing. Yeah. I mean, I think, cause even when we couldn't, like even when he was more unresponsive, than he was like initially after the stroke, like in the last couple of years, you know, he didn't, he didn't talk as much. Like I still felt like a strong connection with him mm. and we could still like, like I could still spend quality time with him. Mm. I could still take him out of his boarding care and like go like feed him, like enjoy a meal out together or, you know, do stuff together. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like a slow, it's, it's a slow transition, you know, like, a lot of you like I would think back on this like sort of rich um life that he had, this rich, colorful life that he had, like in his youth and even when I was growing up and it it was just like, yeah, pretty arresting to think about like all that all that is like slowly fading, mm. you know, from his mind and from like the the experiences of his family like his his brothers and sisters and yeah. So I think it's like, <clears throat> I think like his passing was definitely, you know, when I feel like, like his physical presence was just gone, but you know, the years leading up to that were also like, you know, just a slow, slow exit in, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think I talked to you on the phone like a few weeks after he passed maybe or a month after or something. I could be misremembering this, but I, I think I asked you how you felt maybe and you just felt numb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What did it feel like? Like was it, was most of the grieving before he actually passed? I think I did do a lot like in the last nine years. Um, I, you know, definitely like gave his, his stroke and his like new life, like a lot of space and, um, just like let it, you know, let it affect me. And then there, there, there's just a lot of, there's, you know, long periods of time. I think anyone who has lost like a loved one, or um, like a close friend or just like <clears throat> been close to someone who has had something like that happen to them knows that we, we can't like live in that space of like grief and open heartedness all the time. Mm. Like it just like our bodies just won't allow it. I think it's just like a, you know, like a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you have to I, I go long periods of time with like without thinking of him much or when I do think of him, like I think that the subconscious strategy is like now isn't the time to dwell on that. Mm. Like it's just too painful, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think the the grieving comes like in waves, you know, like when you give it the space, then it's just there. 
And if you don't give it the space, then it's, you know, it's just harder to access. You kind of have to like make it accessible. Hmm. Um, and sometimes there's like little reminders or you're like, okay, it's coming up now. Like I'm giving it the space now. Hmm. But there were, yeah, months, weeks and months after his passing that I, it's not like there was like a whole bunch of time right after his passing where I didn't feel anything, you know, it was like, I'd go a week or two here and then, then I'd ball my eyes out for like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and then. I'd go a week or two here and then I'd like, you know, sob uncontrollably for 15 or 20 minutes. And I think it's also like um, talking to people about it brings it up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. What makes you want to talk about it? I mean, it feels good to give him space and honor him. Mm. It feels like it feels like honoring a part of myself, like mm -hmm. a big part of myself. Cause like so much of myself was like, came from him. And you know, he was just such a big part of my life for so long. Even when he wasn't like, even when we weren't like physically present with each other, like he just had such a, such an influence over everyone around him. Which parts of you feel most like your dad? I think that like my curiosity for other people is in part like from him and like my ability to connect with people really easily comes from like observing him and absorbing that like char characteristic of him and probably just like untold ways. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm realizing different ways all the time that I'm like him for better or for worse. <laughs> the sure. way I bottle up my anger hmm. completely like looks and sounds and feels like the way he did in, hmm. in um, like at certain times. It doesn't like come out at least. Yeah, it doesn't come out the way that it came out in him at least not yet but <laughs> would it burst out he out he was he could be a scary person sometimes mm. yeah he could be really scary like i i saw him i saw him explode a time or two and it's it's frightening hmm. and i could just see i could see the way that he like bottled up emotion but i mean i'm lucky like i i think it's just it's so much it's it's easier than ever for men at least in our region of the world and at our age to talk about feelings like when you grew up in the 40s and 50s and 60s like you don't talk about feelings you don't mm -hmm. talk about like hardship mm -hmm. you just like you know do your best and keep going and right you just like you're just duty bound you just bury it you just bury it. And I mean, I do that too. We all, we all do some amount of burying. Everyone does. Mm -hmm. Everyone does some amount of burying, but, um, I could definitely see the way that he bottled like everything up. Like he never talked about his like inner struggle, mm. but I could tell he had one. Mm. I could tell he had a big one always. Hmm. 
And I could tell that he, I could tell that he experienced on some level, at least I could tell that he experienced like remorse and regret and shame. And he just didn't know how to process those things. He didn't know how to process those things. And he didn't know how to talk about those things. They would come out like as different, like they would present as different things. Where did you learn or how did you learn to talk about those things and recognize them in yourself and also hold space for other people's feelings? Because mm. you're really good at that. Mm. And yeah, we live in a culture and a time where that's more embraced, mm -hmm. but you're really good at it. You're, you're better at it than most men I know. Mm. Did you learn that from, sounds like you didn't learn that from your dad. Um, where do you think you <laughs> learned that? Um, I think a lot of it was just like, I learned it from myself. Like, I think that I'm, I'm so lucky and I mean, I'm, I'm lucky for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest like reasons that I'm really lucky is that I have a lot of like free time. And I think that like, I spend a lot of that free time in my head. And I think that one positive like side effect of, of having all that free time to myself to think and feel is that I can do some amount of like allowing myself to think and feel the way that I need to. And I think that I've like sort of um, realized what kind of treatment I want like from myself and from other people. It's, it's a lot easier to give the treatment that I want to other people than it is to give it to myself. But I think that, I think that I've realized like when it, like when it comes to feelings, it all has to be okay. At least initially, like everyone's like, everyone's feelings are okay. They have to be okay. Like you have to give your feelings space. Um, like I think resisting your feelings, resisting your own feelings and resisting other people's feelings is just like, is making everything worse. Mm. Everything in our world is like made worse by resisting resisting our thoughts and feelings and resisting other people's thoughts and feelings. And I think that like, I, I don't know when or how I came up with this idea, but I think that I like really attached to it. And I think that it's like part of my, a big part of my life philosophy now mm -hmm. is like giving people allowance for their thoughts and feelings, even if they're at odds with my own or with a, another groups of people's, you know, there's, there's, there's reasons that people have their thoughts and feelings. And I think it's important. We don't have to know all the reasons, but I think it's important to like give allowances to people for, to just be able to feel the way they do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we don't need to do anything with them necessarily. I think we can just like let our, our thoughts and feelings like give them space and we don't necessarily like need to fix them. Mm -hmm. I think by like, by giving them space, they can just like evaporate or diminish or like be less important. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I experience a lot of inner resistance too. What do you mean? Well, just like resisting my own thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know where I like, 
I don't know where I learned my emotional intelligence. I, I think it was just like a lot of it just came from like the privilege of time and space. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was like, I did have some helpful guides. Like, I think that my mom, my, my, my parents, my mom, my mom can be very emotionally intelligent. And, um, she's also very like, she, she, she's a lawyer, so she can be a little bit like, um, argumentative. I don't know if argumentative is the right word, but like, you know, she can be very like, she can speak her mind in conversations that are about feelings and that, that sometimes feels like dismissive. But, um, but I think that I've also seen her, you know, I've seen her exercise humility and vulnerability in ways that probably a lot of people don't see in their parents. And same with my dad. Like I saw him, you know, express remorse and, Mm. and, um, you know, give, give heartfelt apologies when it mattered. And I think that you see someone do that and you're like, wow, that is powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I, I think you, well, yeah, I, I think you like put words to a life philosophy that I also have. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you mm-hmm. saying like, all of your feelings are okay. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's feelings are okay. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I really deeply believe that and agree with it and had never put it simply in words like that or heard someone put it simply in words like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, part of that philosophy, part of it comes from just like, you know, doing the thought experiment all the time of like, well, if I, was that person, like really was that person. If I came from where they came from, if I had the parents that they have and all the experiences that they have and the genetics genetics and the cultural context, would I behave or think or believe any differently? I have no reason to think that I would believe or think any differently or behave differently. And so, you know, in a way, maybe they're really doing their best with what they have. I think I firmly believe that everyone is doing their best all the time. I think it may not seem like it because we have like, you know, really high expectations of people. We have our own expectations of other people. Yeah. We have our own, we have our own inner judge for ourselves and for others. And I think that like, we don't, we're, people are not taught to like give other people the benefit of the doubt in that way. And it's like, you know, you don't have to understand all of the stuff that someone else has to understand that they are they are the way they are for a multitude of like incomprehensible reasons mm-hmm. whether it's like what you said genetics like upbringing what they had for breakfast like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what they had for breakfast the last you know 10 years it's like Right. If, you know, people just, people just have the stuff that they have and they're just behaving in accordance with their stuff. And it's not like they necessarily asked for that stuff. It's not like they necessarily earned that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So why should we blame them for that stuff? Mm-hmm. Why should we blame ourselves for our stuff? Right. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's, it, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of slippery slope arguments with, with that philosophy in mm-hmm. terms of like blame and it sounds like it takes away people's responsibility and it it doesn't but it yeah yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to draw the line there it's hard to like explain why those things can 
be compatible and live together. Like we do have responsibility. We should try to like learn to be better versions of ourselves all the time and learn to like treat others better, Mm -hmm. but also like people are the way that they are for a reason Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't judge them for, for the way that they are without at least like considering what they've been through that made them that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is complicated when you, when you sort of bring like, like, I don't know, responsibility and like punishment, I guess, into the equation or like judgment or blame or whatever, because I think that like a lot of people want to like point to the individual for all of the acts of the individual, but I don't know. It's just so complicated. Mm -hmm. Does, were you going to say something else? Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Another thing I was going to say is that with that kind of life philosophy, I think part of it probably comes from me wanting like me being being willing to like give other people the benefit of the doubt and give people that space because I want it for mm-hmm, myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel that way too? Whether yeah. that's like you want all of your, you know, you've talked about your like inner struggle. You want all of the messiness of that to like be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really lonely and isolating when you feel like your messiness isn't okay. When you feel like you you can't share it with anyone. Like what, what's more, like what's lonelier and more isolating than that? You're like, God, I have all this messiness and darkness and like sad or scary thought and, and feeling. And I just have nowhere to go with that because everyone is just like, everyone is just like putting on a brave face all the time and like pretending like nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like that's just kind of the society we live in. Yeah. Yeah. What made you feel supported? What made you feel the best when your dad passed away? Mm. I think like being given the opportunity to talk about him. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, people don't want to ask questions or pry because they don't want to like, they don't want to feel like they're opening up wounds. They don't want to feel like they're causing you pain, but it's like such a gift to have a reason to talk about him and to talk Mm. about like what I went through when he was passing and, and to honor him. I think, I, I mean, I think that's like, that's, you know, you could say the same thing. The same thing applies to just like the rest of life is like people don't want to pry and ask questions because they don't want to cause pain and they don't want to like stir up pain or open up wounds. But it's like you got to open up the wound to clean it out. Mm. And maybe it's just never clean, maybe, or maybe it never fully heals. Maybe you have to tend to it often, you know, we have to tend to our our grief often. I, I I haven't, yeah, I haven't been tending to it as often as I should, I guess. Well, maybe you just need a break. Yeah. I mean, not to, I don't know, like life, life doesn't give you breaks when you want them. But um, I remember we were hanging out in Waco a few months after or like a month or two after your dad passed 
And like, I, I could tell you were, I think you were shell-shocked. I mean, I could tell like you'd been through a really traumatic experience being with him when he was passing. And, um, but it was just, it was just interesting. I was like, I remember you talking about it. And I also remember just trying to like imagine the mix of emotions, like of course the loss and the grief and, but also like maybe some relief is in there mm -hmm. for his sake, for your sake. Mm -hmm. You feel free for the first time in years and you probably mm -hmm. feel guilty about that too. Mm -hmm. Cause you don't want to be free of your dad, but you also like want to live your life. And I mean, having a, having a dad at a live in care for almost a decade um, and like the, the amount of time and effort that you gave to him is not, you know, that's not, that's not you living your own life mm -hmm. during those periods. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then all that's just like in a swirly mix all together. Yeah. Big, big muck <laughs> inside of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't like, you, it's, it's hard to open up and look into the, look into the muck all the time. Like look into the well of, of emotion that you are carrying. I think it's really like beneficial and it's really freeing to do it often. Um, but I think that our, like our bodies won't let us, I think we, like, we have to, I don't know. I think our bodies won't let us and there's not, there's not like, a, there's still not a ton of room for it in society. Mm. Like, I think that we're just not <clears throat> really taught to like, yeah, just like open up all the time. But, um, but I think that there's, you know, there's a time and a place for it. It's, I, you know, I'm <clears throat> under the belief at least most of the time that everything's like happening when it's meant to and and whenever you know everyone is opening and closing in their own time mm -hmm. and, and yeah. when they're meant to but yeah i think that i i think that i was and probably to some extent still am like in shock from that period of my life mm-hmm yeah. I'm sure I'm just not aware of all the ways that it affected me, but some of them. Yeah. 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 He, he got COVID in September and then he, um, like I was, I was like away on trips for like a couple weeks. And I, I think I saw him like right before I went to like the Joe's Valley bouldering festival and he was like sick, but he was like sort of responsive, like maybe barely less responsive than he normally was. So I didn't think like, I was like, oh, he'll probably be fine. And then I got back and then he got taken to um, the ER like in mid-October, mid to early October. And I remember like the ER doc like saying the word palliative care, saying the words palliative care, like in that first ER visit. And I was like, doesn't that seem like a little like preemptive or something? What does that mean exactly? Palliative care is like end of life care. It's kind of like a general term for end of life care. But he is, he was like super dehydrated. I guess he hadn't like been drinking at all. And um, was like, there was like blood in his urine or something. But basically he just, at that point he was like in the hospital for 
for like three weeks or something or like two weeks. Um, and it was cle clear pretty early on that, um, I mean, we were like, I think we still had some hope that maybe he could like bounce back, but he wasn't like, he wasn't really keeping down food or water. Um, he was just like choking on everything that we tried to feed him and couldn't really drink. And I didn't really realize this, but that's just like how a lot of people die. Mm. Like a lot of old people just like lose the ability to swallow. Mm. And he had, he had had trouble swallowing for a pretty long time. Like we would, he would choke on a lot of the food I fed him, but he never like, he never got like um, pneumonia or anything, which is also what a lot of people die of a lot of old people. But I think that that was the fear was that if we would, if we were going to continue trying to like feed him and like, and you know, and have him drink water that he would like choke and aspirate and get pneumonia. Mm. That's like what happens to a lot of people. And it's just like, you know, at that phase in life, it's just like, there's just no graceful way to go really. And that's, I mean, I think that that's like, that's sort of a, a passing thought through the years too, kind of alongside that thought of shit, this is like as good as it gets now. There's like another thought of like, there's just no way to make this okay. There's like know? no easy way out there's of no this. There's no easy, easy way out of this. Hmm. So, I mean, as the family, you're pretty much the ones given the choice of like what to do at that point. Cause you can't, there are like, there are interventions, but they're not recommended. You can get like a feeding tube placed in their stomach. You can get a feeding tube placed down their throat, but that's just like a life-saving measure. It's not like a quality of life improvement. Mm -hmm. And so you're like the humane, like basically the humane thing to do is just to like bring them back home and give them hospice care which basically just keeps them comfortable and like, you know, keep their mouths wet and, you know, read to them and like be with them. So that's what we did. And he lived like a remarkably long time after that. I think he was like back at his boarding care for like almost two weeks or something. Mm. Hardly drank anything. Wow. But yeah, that was like a sad time for sure because you just like know that the end is near but you just can't help but like cling on to these little bits of hope or something like i remember going to whole foods and like trying to find things that like he might be able to swallow like i remember buying this mushroom broth i don't think i ever gave it to him but now every time i see that like oh mushroom broth i like think about how i bought that for him like thinking that it might like keep him alive or something and mm -hmm. yeah but yeah eventually he like one day we were there i think his like I can't remember the different like family members were coming because they knew that like the end was near. So they were like coming to say goodbye. And um, one day we were there and he was like awake and looking at us and stuff. And he might've even said like a few words 
and uh and then the next day we went um we went back and he was like unconscious and like hyperventilating and he just like never never regained consciousness mm. so he was kind of like that for a few days and then um after a few days of that he passed like around 11 30 one one day on november 6th and um yeah my my mom had like we were kind of like taking shifts just being at his bedside like all the time and my mom had just left the room but i remember like the last thing he did before he passed was like shed a few tears hmm. i had hardly ever seen him cry like in my entire life wow but i think he knew that it was like the end and he cried a little bit and then I like watched him take his last breath. My brother and I were there. Yeah. And then it's, yeah, it's really, it's really trippy. Like one, one second he's like your dad. And then the next second he, it's just like a dead body. I don't know if it's like that immediate, but that's kind of how it feels. Hmm. Yeah. When you like feel the life path, like pass from someone, it's like, yeah it's almost like their their like spirit is like somewhere else now hmm. or something and then um yeah i took that road trip to waco and the southwest and then like eventually like we were like oh we should have a memorial for him and it took a pretty long time to like organize it but I was basically like in charge of organizing the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Which was just like a lot of stress. I think in the end it wasn't like quite a bit of logistics, but wasn't like that crazy, but just like the stress of like wanting it to be really good and like meaningful and stuff. That's a ton. That's yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of emotional work. Yeah. It's so weird that we don't talk about any of this ever. Like, yeah, still know, super taboo. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking, I don't know, you're, you go to work and you have coworkers and like one of them disappears for a week and it's like, oh yeah, they're, they had someone pass away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, that's awful. And then they just like, when they're back, you say that you're sorry and you know you give them a hug and then like it's back to normal yeah they just like disappear and yeah and go deal with it with their family kind of alone like the rest of society just keeps chugging along and like we don't talk about it yeah yeah i mean we don't we don't give death and dying like the treatment it deserves and grief too you know we we celebrate birth and life so much so much and we don't like, we don't honor death really. And we don't like talk about it that much, but we all do it. Mm -hmm. Us and everyone we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that makes it seem, I think that makes it way more scary. Not talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, not, not like giving it space and honoring it and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm scared to die. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it it is it's like the same thing as with feelings like when you push bad feelings down and 
try not to think of them or look at them or acknowledge them or give them space, they fester. They're like so much worse. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable to air them out and shine light on them. But then like, they just get less scary. They, they just shrink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. How do you feel? Where are you at now with it? Just kind of like living? Yeah. I mean, I think like sort of similar to how I felt in Waco, like most of the time I'm like not really thinking about it or feeling it. You know, obviously he he pops into my head pretty frequently and um and I have like I think like the memorial was really helpful for me and like everyone, you know, just to like give him like a whole day. Mm. And um like for me it was like super cathartic to just honor him in this big way and and the memorial itself went off like better than I could have imagined. Mm. Um but yeah, and then like I'll have I'll you know have like days where I think of him and honor him and then I'll have days where I just think of him and like, you know, honor him for a second and then I'm like back to whatever I'm doing mm-hmm. and I don't like feel, I don't like feel much about it. It is really, it's it's really weird though that he is like, that his physical presence is gone and it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. At least in the form that I knew him in. Like that just feels so weird and surreal to me. The thing that, um, my partner says, and the thing that like other people say too, is like, well, maybe that means he's just not as gone as you think he is. Mm. Oh, I really love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good reminder that, you know, even if their, their body is gone and like all of the stuff that they had is gone, like with their body that like, they're still accessible. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I'm like reminded of a lot. Like, oh, talking about him and thinking about him and like holding space for him and like quiet alone moments is like something I can do every day if I want. It's hard to because it's like, you know, kind of emotionally taxing to like open up to all that. But mm-hmm. but I think it's like also really important, like you said, you know, shining light on the on the muck like helps it evaporate hmm. or helps it like helps it breathe mm-hmm. so it's not just like swirling around you it's not around inside you yeah but I think most of the time I'm like you know just chugging along and living mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just like covering covering up all the all the muck with like climbing and and food and entertainment and, and life. Mm-hmm. Busyness. Has it, um, has it changed like how you think about what you, what you want your life to be at all in like a fundamental way, the whole process? Like, I don't know. Did it make it harder to f- have goals? Do you feel more clear about goals? Um, <laughs> Mm, I think I, I think I do feel, I don't know if, yeah, I mean, I think that it's freed up some space for me, for sure. Like, 
oh, I can actually just do whatever I want now. Mm. Or like, I don't, maybe that's a stretch, but I can, I don't have to like be as tethered to, to him as to his physical presence as I, you know, was before. Mm -hmm. Or I don't have to be tethered at all. Me and my mom is, is still in the Bay and like, it's, it's nice to go hang with her and like help her around the house and stuff. But, um, I think that like, it's definitely made me think about the future a lot more and made me like consider the future and like what I want my life to look like a lot more. I don't know if I'm like acting a lot on those, those thoughts or impulses, but like definitely like thinking about it. And I think that it's, if anything, it's like made me realize like, well, if I want to do so, something before, you know, while I'm, while I'm still young and capable, like I should, I should do it soon. Mm. What's, or like if I, if I have an opportunity, like I should take advantage mm. of it. Mm -hmm. Are those specific things or is that just a general? I mean, some feeling? of them are like climbing related. Some of them are like career related. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm also just like, you know, 37. <laughs> it's really that that is that is really strange but <laughs> it's funny because i'm 34 and 34 to 37 is like they almost feel the same like three 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 years is, it will go by very quickly totally like 31 yeah. to 34 like i mean a lot's happened in my life but it's not a huge difference in how i feel mm -hmm. as a person mm -hmm. But 37 does sound way closer to 40 than 34 does. Like <laughs> it's kind of trippy. Yeah. Which and is that, fine. That part of it is really weird. And then maybe you roll over 40 and you realize like, oh, I still feel the same and like everything's fine. Totally. Yeah. Probably. You think 40 is like a really scary, mm -hmm. ex, you know, advanced age. But all these mid 40 year olds are like crushing. Totally. Those There's so much inspiration out there for like, yeah. for climbing, climbing hard and being super active and like doing cool stuff in your 40s and 50s mm -hmm. yeah and 60s yeah and 60s looking at you bill ramsey <laughs> see in his 60s yeah wow yeah so he's 62 or three i think i think he turned 60 like shortly after i interviewed him wow yeah epic yeah yeah he's still he's still healthy he uh drinks like a fish and he drinks still, like a fish still sending has, has fake hips thinks they're He's like, you don't understand. Like people, I, I talked to him about this last time I saw him. He's like, he's like, yeah, people are so impressed that I'm like still sending things with these artificial hips. But he's like, you don't understand. They're better than before. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to call it aid, but <laughs> I have metal assistance. It's like, I have way more open hips now than I used wow. to. Nice. Well, that's great. I mean, it, like double, double hip replacement isn't the end. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's amazing. Yeah, there's, I mean, I, I'm fully planning on climbing until I can't. Mm. I don't think I could do anything else. Do you have goals for your climbing still? Definitely. Yeah. I think kinda, I have more goals now than I did like the last few years. That's amazing. Yeah. I think I have more like, I think I also have like more motivation for like improving mm -hmm. training. It seems you certainly talk about it more often. As time goes on, and on. <laughs> at like, some I'm point I'm gonna, gonna have train. To just do it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and I'm like, okay. Glassberg was basically do like it. shaming me into into <laughs> wanting to train this year. <laughs> well, you kind of. I mean, it's a, you're you're in an interesting position because you. Um, I've been here for a while. You've been climbing for so long, but yeah, you joked the other day about 
you got like 15 year plateau, dude, or so, you said something <laughs> like that. And I don't think that's fully true. No, but, but I haven't made any significant like strength gains since I was probably like 21 or something. Mm-hmm. 20. What did you do when you were 20 that makes you? Oh, I think I was just like that. a fully formed adult. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There wasn't like a specific router. <laughs> no, no. Or but I mean, I think I like, I had some seasons of climbing that like definitely got like made me stronger in the long run. Hmm. Well, cool. Yeah. I'm excited for whatever that leads you to. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call to come back. Ethan's going to train. It's, it's so hard for me to train because I just love rock climbing so much and I yeah. have the opportunity to do it. Well, I mean, that's, so that's interesting. Let's get into that. So what makes it feel more compelling now? Is it a sense of like, oh, is it that sense of like, oh, if I want to do things, I better get around to them sooner rather kind than of. later. Yeah. Cause I, I understand that. Cause you, like, I admire about you that you're just so like, go with the flow with your climbing and you always climb really well and you like are always sending cool things and, um, you don't seem that stressed about it most of the time that I've seen you, but I can get stressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, like that's kind of our weird human nature. It's like a really rare person that is truly content doing what they've been doing for a long time mm-hmm. without growth, without like, mm-hmm. cha- like without like challenge mm-hmm. and growth mm-hmm. that comes with it. Right. Without like, sort of wanting to ev- like evolve yeah yeah up your game or whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i just most of the time i just have so much fun doing what i'm doing and i guess i also haven't like i don't know i haven't found that many climbs that i'm like so inspired by and also so challenged by that i'm like i need to train for this mm. like i think like trying bibliography was cool because i was like holy fuck this boulder is feels so hard to me I just saw Seb make it look like V2 from the ground. Like that's, that's inspiring. Like I want to be as strong as Seb, but I'm not like, wow, I want to train really hard so I can send bibliography. Like bibliography is cool, but I'm not like, wow, it's like, it's the one, you know, Mm. I don't know. It's like the crux is like pretty unpleasant. Mm. Like it's not like some of it is like not that fun. (laughs) Does that just get harder with hard rock climbing? I think so. Yeah. I think, I think like oftentimes like, really, really hard rock climbs are kind of unfun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unpleasant and sharp and like really condition dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's yeah. an interesting thing about inspiration. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Cause it's like, I think it's like you have to want to elevate purely for the challenge sometimes. Like, not like, oh, I want, like, I mean, obviously some people are like, ah, oh, it, it would just be so much more fun if I could try everything or if I could try 512s or 513s or 514s or whatever. Well, I think that's mostly true, but then I think it's a bell curve. Yeah. Right. Like in every area is different. Like at Smith Rock, I've talked about this a lot. Like the bell curve peaks at 13B or maybe even 12C. And then like it sharply goes down, you know, like it gets more and more fun and cooler and more uh-huh, awesome. And uh-huh. then you get to like 13 plus and you're like, oh my God. And then yeah, there's some amazing 14 A's, but they're also like kind of nasty, you know? And then after and that- And really stressful to climb. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then at other areas, you know, the bell curves in a different spot, like in rifle, maybe it peaks at 14, mid 514 or something, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know? And mm-hmm. 
or maybe even the nine A's are super fun. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, every every place. Yeah, I feel like, like here it's maybe like V thirteen or something. Mm-hmm. After that, they start getting less pleasant, mm-hmm. less fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and more stressful and sharper. Yeah, yeah. Sweet, great for me. Good news for me. Yeah, totally. Bad news for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I'm still inspired. I mean, I think that was one uh, one cool thing about everything's still on. Yeah, okay. I think so. That I heard the doo-doo. Um, one cool thing about, even though the trip to Sayus was kind of a bummer with like the weather and stuff, but it was just surrounded by so many strong people who were like way stronger than I was on on that type of climbing at least. Mm. Like on on like long, crimpy sport routes. Mm-hmm. Long, crimpy, pockety sport routes. I was like, wow, the level this is the like watching like it was crazy just how much stronger Seb was than everyone else on bibliography. Mm. I mean, he had also put more time into it, but like the boulder was like easy for him. And I got up there and I tried a couple times, and it's so hard <laughs> for someone my size, which he is. <laughs> I mean, he's like you know different proportions and stuff, but basically the same height, mm. but just casual. Wow, when he did it, crazy, yeah. And he was, you know, he kept saying over and over, like, yeah, I think like bibliography is like a cool 9B plus to try because the boulder's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just 8A. And I'm like, dude, this would be 8B plus in Rocklands. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe not, but 8B for sure. Maybe it's your black mango chutney. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like really anti-style. Mm. But that's kind of cool. You know, I'm like, wow, I could, I could get a lot. Like there's a lot of room for improvement for me in that style. Mm. And it's also been a really long time since I felt like really fit on that time, like kind of style. Mm-hmm. Small holds, cranky. Small holds, like forever. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. What are your goals for the rest of the trip? Um, Do you have goals? Yeah, I would like to. I would like to make progress on monkey wedding. I would love to go try this like highball crack boulder that. Ignacio Molero has like tried a bunch and hasn't done yet. I just want to go try it um, and see if it's like something that I'd be interested in doing. It looks amazing. I mean, it's like, yeah, one of the most inspiring like boulder climbs I've ever seen. It's wow. huge, um, but but really cool. And I would, I would love to have a few sessions on Live and Large because I feel like that is like the most inspiring boulder problem in the world to me. Wow. I think I'm like a little bit afraid to try it though because of how hard I know it's going to feel. <laughs> but um, I would I would love to have a couple sessions on that. Awesome. I, and then there's like, you know. Progress goals. Yeah. Process, prog- process goals. Sure. Yeah. Process goals. Yeah. Make progress on monkey wedding. Get on live in large a couple sessions. Yeah. Those try are, some. Those try are some very attainable. Lines. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I you don't, do that in you a week. don't even have to send. No, I know. I don't have to send anything. There's like, you know, and then of course there's like 20 to 30 other like 8A plus through 8B plus things that I want to actually do. Do you have a list? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Some things I haven't tried yet. Some things I've tried and like, you know, only once or twice. Mm-hmm like varying sort of levels of like logistical treatment and like skin and conditions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like every, you know, it's like 
okay, what are the conditions like today? Is it cloudy? Is it not cloudy? Yeah. I think I have some, I have some like things that I've, that I'm sort of saving for like flash attempts too. Mm. Wait for or, the right conditions. Mm-hmm. Wait for the right conditions and the right crew. Yeah. I think this will be fun. Yeah. You're going to be my co-host so we can keep doing updates mm-hmm. and take people along on our Rocklands journey and, and yeah. tell them how the trip's going. It's Are just, we a quarter of, this means we're a quarter of the way through now, huh? Yeah. That's a little sad. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. The trips, trips just fly by. Yeah. I feel like they go faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Life just goes faster and faster, I guess. But yeah, it's it's crazy that we've already been here for two weeks. I guess I kind of was like, I don't feel like my trip started until like five or six days in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were sick. I was kind of zombie mode. Mm-hmm. And like, it was really weird to not feel excited to be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was just kind of like trying to make it through the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel excited now? Yeah, I definitely feel excited now. It's different. It's different excitement than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I thought... Um, I thought I would feel way more like a kid in a candy shop mm-hmm. being here. And it's just kind of... Just wanting to climb everything. Just wanting to climb everything. Like, yeah, touch everything, It seems everything, like you've, climb everything. you've pulled on to a lot of things that you're like, eh. Yeah. Which yeah. maybe that... I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's like a bad attitude. I don't know if it's like having weird expectations or something. It's probably... It's certainly partly because... I just did six weeks in Magic Wood and did that for six weeks. I just tried mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. and climbed tons and tons of mm-hmm. stuff um, of all grades. And so maybe I've kind of like had my fill. Because what feels really inspiring to me right now is like seeking out really choice lines, like hard things, and actually putting work into them to see how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of where like I'm being, at too. being a lot more selective, and maybe that that might just be the Rocklands way. Because I'm really surprised at how sprawled everything is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's like a, literally the land of rocks, and there's rock everywhere. Um, but yeah, the concentration is way lower than I expected. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to like run around, and mm-hmm. you know, it's not like being in. Uh, it's the antithesis of Waco tanks. Totally, it yeah. is. Yeah, it's not like being on North Mountain, and you can just like go try six different cool things in a day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I've been surprised by that, but, um, and yeah, I, I feel like so far I haven't been as into most of the things that I've looked at as I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. But then the things that I have found that I'm inspired by, like I've been trying Black Shadow. I thought I might like that one. You recommended it. Someone else recommended it. I was like, I think this could be actually a really good fit for me. My main goal for the trip is to climb my first V12. And it's like, I've, I'm like beyond psyched on it. Like mm-hmm. I, it's it's one of the favorite, one of my favorite hard boulders I've ever tried. Nice. Um, yeah. Seems like it fits you really well. It fits too. me like perfectly and it's going really well and I love the movement on it and it's amazing. So I'm having like one of the best climbing experiences on that specific boulder, but then yeah, feeling less like a kid in a candy shop on the days that we've gone to new areas and mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, oh, that's, that's different than I expected. Yeah. Normally I'm like very much like I, I want to do them all. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's how not, I feel here. That's not, I'm not feeling that way here. Maybe because I'm so overwhelmed because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many. You yeah. Know? It's like, yeah. well, I'm. There's lifetimes. There's lifetimes. So I yeah. should probably just focus on like the ones that are really, really amazing for, for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like for me, like they're kind of all inspiring in a different way. And there's just so many that I know that I'm like never going to do them all. Or if I did, it would take me like the rest of my life. So I'm just like on the slow 
program anyway. Mm. I'm just like, there's no rush. Just one at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, that was fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah. We, um, we talked about climbing a lot and then. <laughs> and then something else a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, thanks, man. Um, I'm excited to do more of these while you're here. I think Ethan is going to be my co-host for some other interviews. So yeah, we'll I'm be nervous. Doing, we'll be you are a little bit. <laughs> well, it just makes both of our jobs easier because we get to share the the question asking. It'll just be fun. I think it'll. I think we're gonna have some like laid back, casual, fireside chats with people while we're here, and uh, we'll just see what happens. Indoor camping vibes. Indoor camping. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah with, with strong rock climbers but yeah anything else no i think we're gonna go to the beach today and not, su- not not sure if i'll get in the water but yeah if it's if it looks really good i'll probably get in the water <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to help myself but <laughs> then tomorrow i'll just be i'll just get fixed maybe surfing will fix your back question mark <laughs> yeah it's definitely how it felt last time <laughs> All right. Okay. Signing off. Great. Yeah. Thanks, dude. You bet. (laughs) I'm going to give you a hug. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Hey, friends. A few quick reminders before you go. First thing, The Nugget is now on YouTube. We're sharing some of my favorite clips from the podcast in eight minute long videos. And they're super cool. I'm really proud of how these things are turning out. And the YouTube channel is a great way to sample other episodes before diving into a two hour podcast. And it's a great way to revisit some of your favorite nuggets from the show. Just search for The Nugget Climbing on YouTube. I also put a tremendous amount of effort into the show notes for every episode. You can find those at thenuggetclimbing.com. If you ever want to learn more about a guest or watch the videos or buy the books we talked about or see the Instagram posts we talked about or whatever it is, you can find links to all of the things in the show notes for each episode at thenuggetclimbing.com, including links to all of my sponsors. Thanks again to all of my sponsors for this episode. You can check them out in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. You'll find a list of sponsors for this episode and their coupon codes, or just scroll down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to have great deals on some of my favorite products. Again, just scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the list of sponsors in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Finally, if you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes that I've published so far with past guests from the show with more bonus episodes coming all the time. They're called follow-ups. Follow-ups are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You'll get access to all of those and ad-free versions of the regular episodes, as well as uncut video interviews if you prefer to watch the video. All of that for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. And there's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening all the way to the end. I appreciate all of your support. I hope you're having an amazing week and we will see you next time. Let's do it.